1: Got your Money Wise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio. With me for this weekend show, I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away.
0: Okay, In the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1.1%, about 388 points. The S&P 500 was up a little more than 40 points, or nine-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 8.5 points, or one-tenth of 1%. Now, we also finished the fourth quarter of 2021. So let's go into those numbers. The Dow Jones Industrial Average for the fourth quarter of 2021 was up 7.4%. The S&P 500 for the fourth quarter was up 10.6%. And the NASDAQ for the fourth quarter was up 8.3%. And finally, since we have finished... 2021 let's go into the final numbers these are without uh, dividends reinvested we'll we'll have uh, next week's show we'll have a more complete rundown of these performance numbers with dividends but for the Dow for the year was up 18.7% the S&P 500 was up 26.9% and the Nasdaq was up 21.4% for 2021
1: and if for all the listeners that are tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, we hope everyone had a happy and safe New Year's and uh, are not feeling uh, too under the weather <laughs> from having too much uh, New Year's Eve fun. And
0: but, since we didn't have a Christmas show, I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas too.
1: That's right. Had a great holiday. But, you know, what? what another spectacular year 2021 was for the
2: markets.
0: And none of and, us, none of us were right. None, all of us were just a little, a little too bearish, just a bit, a bit outside, as just Bob Eucker would outside. say. Yes,
1: Just as Bob Eucker would sh- say, just a bit outside. But when we made well, the predictions at the beginning of 2021, I, you know, we all said, you know, we'd love to be wrong, being more conservative, which mm-hmm. all three of us were wrong because we were more conservative on the total returns.
0: But I will like to pat myself on the back a little bit. <laughs> well, if don't break will, your
1: arm doing it. Y'all will
0: indulge me for a moment because for the Dow for the year, I had up 15%. So 18.7 without dividends, not bad. And the NASDAQ, I had up 20% for the year. We ended up 21.4, and there's not a lot of dividends in the NASDAQ. So that was pretty darn close, but I had 15%. For the S P and and y'all were a little bit lower, I, if I remember. You
1: were the most bullish. You were uh, actually the most bullish for the year. And I, I, I have thunk I was, it. And but, but I was it. the most bearish, which was which is interesting <laughs> because we have such a yin and yang dichotomy when it comes to our portfolio management strategy and definitely our meetings and, and the fun that ensues in those meetings where it tends to, I'm more bullish in our meetings, and you're a little bit more bearish, which makes it a good combination.
2: You're the perma bear, and Jeff is a perma bull, Kyle. Jeff is a perma bear.
0: I am not a perma bear. I think there's another individual in organ, an organization that's a little bit more bearish. And unfortunately, he couldn't be on the show with us today. But from oh, what we hear, mission, Jeff? well, I actually have them here in my hand. Woo, and, 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 and unfortunately dad's not here to defend his prediction. It's called a roast, from, a roast. From 2021, so it's we're kind of throwing him under the bus a little bit. He'll have to come back for a rebuttal next weekend. But uh dad dad predicted that the Dow would be up 5 to 10%, the S&P would be down 5 to 10% and the Nasdaq would be down 15 to 25%. He further went on to say that he thought unemployment would be higher at the end of the year than it was at the beginning, and that GDP growth was going to be less than 2%, and the 10-year yield would be somewhere between one5 and 2%. So he was right on the 10-year yield going out at 1.512, but, but he was woefully wrong on uh, just about everything else, and that's okay. He, he, he had his reasons and we're going to let him come. He'll come on next week and redeem himself with the predictions for 2022.
2: He's going to
1: go double or nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Joe, that's what (laughs) I was wondering. If he was going to go double for nothing on those double or nothing on those predictions, although we might have to get the, uh, the, the, the bear coat shears out, uh, for next weekend show. Although, 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 as we've been talking on the last several week shows, you know, as we're looking forward, as we do as portfolio managers looking out ahead months in advance, I think we're all in the same camp and agreeing that 2022 is going to bring what we feel is going to be much more volatile markets. I think we have the possibility, and I agree with Jeff, where we could see a couple of 10% corrections possibly even further uh, in the correction as the Federal Reserve becomes uh, more hawkish, and as they continue down their hawkish path, there are some bright spots. There's some there are some opportunities for the Fed to push their rate raising further down the road if we start to see inflation data uh, peaking in late 2021. If, if those were the peaks, and we're starting to see uh, inflation. Uh, data points start to come down and moderate as we get into the first and second quarter of next year, I think that can give the Fed cover to push the rate raising a little further down the road. But again, it's all going to be data dependent, and we'll have to wait and see. But as we've been talking in the last several weeks on the program, this is where you've come to the end of the year. It's time to get your month-end statement your year-end statement and really take stock, no pun intended, of what you're owning in your portfolio, what your allocations look like. If you have over-allocation in particular industrial sectors, if you're underweighted in specific industrial sectors, if you have way too much growth in your portfolio, own too many high-price-earning multiple stocks, if you're owning individual stocks, this is, as Joe's always said on this program, know what you own. And this is when you have to roll up your sleeves and really take a look. Don't just look at your year-end statement or your month-end, quarter-end statement and say, oh, I was up for the year, had a great year. Okay, let's just status quo into 2022 because being complacent in your portfolio is, is, again, not advised. It can be very, very dangerous as we move into 2022 with the Federal Reserve making changes to their monetary policy. So let's pause right there. Let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise Podcast through Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to leave your comments or like the show. So if you're just tuning in for this weekend's New Year's edition, of the money wise program before we went to break just talking about now that we've come to the end of 2021 great year for the market overall so everyone that has any kind of equity exposure you should be seeing unless it's heavily weighted into international emerging markets uh had a decent year as far as returns are concerned but this is again where you do not become complacent You know, set it and forget it is not a portfolio strategy. That is a recipe for more longer-term pain, just setting it and forgetting it in your portfolio. And I know – yeah, Jeff, was there something you wanted to say? No,
0: I I was just going to interject a little something about our PV for 2022 and why we're we're less uh, optimistic about – having a number, another double-digit return year like we've had over the last three, and I'll give a little history lesson. Over the last 51 years, now we've had three instances of the S&P 500 being up double digits three years in a row. This is only the third time this has happened in the last 51 years. It's never happened four years in a row. It has happened once five years in a row. That was a period from ninety-five to ninety-nine, which we all know was the dot-com era. So now this century, we've had two, three triple. You know, we've had two uh, two periods in the last twenty-one years this century where the debt with S&P five hundred has been up double digits three years in a row. So the statistics say that it's not likely that there's going to be a fourth. Double-digit year up in a row, and and sometimes sometimes when you're a manager of money, you look at history. You know, history tends to repeat itself, and you know, we're, I'm not saying that uh, what's happened over the last three years is like what was going on in the dot-com era. Though there are some portions of the marketplace uh, where assets are trading. At uh, valuations that, that look like dot com stocks, such as some of the meme stocks like uh, AMC or uh, GameStop, the ones with no fundamentals, right? Know. The right you know, there are <laughs> there like are know, of those. the
1: just like some of the dot coms back in the late nineties.
0: You know, Bitcoin might be in that category. Uh, what was Bitcoin for
2: the year, by the way?
0: Actually, I you didn't, I didn't track big, it. I, Bitcoin, I, prob- I believe We don't throw that up number up, out, but we,
2: you know. Bitcoin
1: was up around 35%. 35%. Like, roughly, Off the top of my head. But a
2: lot of volatility. It's in the middle of a correction, there. though, right now. So.
0: But there are clearly some mega cap tech names. One that comes to my mind is NVIDIA. That was up like over 150% this year. And if, if my memory serves me correctly, I think it had a triple digit return the previous year. Uh, you know, st- st- stocks like that, you know, Apple had a big year. Microsoft was up over 50% this year. If I'm, uh, I'm correct, Google was up quite a bit. Of the, big, of
1: the big five or six tech names, Amazon was the one that just really received no love this past year. It, it received has a, a lot of love in 2020.
0: But it hasn't received really any love in the last year and a half almost. I want to say since August of 2020. The yeah. stock has done virtually nothing. Nothing. And, and that's not the case with all of the other, you know, the big cap fang or whatever you want to call it names. I know Netflix did not have a good year this year. Um, we don't own Netflix. Uh, we don't own Facebook. We do own all the others. Facebook's now called, what, Meta Networks? Pardon me. Meta.
1: Mang. Symbol, say, yeah, bang. Yeah, now, not Fang. But, uh, yeah, Facebook Jeff that. Trades, we got to give it
3: credit.
1: Er, meta, meta trades under the same symbol, FB. Well... Um, but but there was some other, you know, tech in the tech security space. Fortinet, which is a stock that we own, was in the top five best-performing stocks. Um, Number one S&P sector, energy.
2: Number one stock in the S&P is Devon Energy. Is that going to continue? That's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on going into next year. The energy stock is going to continue to do pretty well. So, you know, well. well, you know,
1: it's, it's all oil is, is a highly traded commodity. And we know as the economy continues to improve, as we work our way through these different, um, different variants of COVID and more and more people are starting to adjust their lifestyle to live with COVID because it's never going, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. So we're going to have to unfortunately learn to live with this. And each person is going to have to take their own personal precautions uh, to protect themselves from it. But I think as time goes on, the market will have less and less of a negative effect as these different variants come out. But I think, you know, Jeff, back to your history lesson of the markets having two time periods this century where the S&P 500 has had double digit returns three years in a row and the probabilities of it having another double digit up year in 2022 the probability being very low also probability being much lower in the face of a Federal Reserve turning more hawkish yes uh, and interest uh, rates going higher I think that that's a very tough hurdle for the market to get over. And like I was saying earlier in the last segment, is that if we see a dramatic reduction in inflation as the Fed continues to reduce its bond buying, which will end in March, if we see dramatic moderation in inflation, could that give the Fed cover to push their interest rate increase down the road? Possibly. possibly. No. I don't
2: I think that's, that's going to happen. No,
0: that's not going to happen.
1: So you know it's 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 all going to be data dependent. But like you said about history, you know how many times have we seen the the markets return double digits in the face the, of a hawkish? The, the three
2: year number on the S and P is cumulatively ninety percent. I was watching that today. Ninety percent of the S and P is up over the last three years. That's thirty average thirty percent rate of return. So what are the odds of us pulling another double digit return on the S and P next year? You know I don't think they're hawkish. You'll uh, learn our expectations next week,
0: but in, in, in relation to the Fed and you, know, Kyle, you're talking about if inflation moderates, will that give the Federal Reserve a reason to not raise interest rates? And and I, the Federal Reserve, in my opinion, has got to get, interest rates are going to have to regress back to its mean. Now, I, I don't have in front of me what that mean is but that mean is a whole lot higher than where we're at right now. And and I'm not saying that that we're going to regress back to whatever the mean interest rates are in the next year. I don't think we'll regress back to whatever the mean interest rate is in the next – it may take us five years or more. And in between there, there will be periods when the Fed will probably actually stop raising interest rates. Uh, But you think about it, it took us 40 years to get to where we got from – uh, 1980 to March of 2020 uh, i don't know if, if it's going to take 40 years for us to get back to where we were in in uh, in 1980 if we ever get back there uh, but what it does mean it, what it does mean for investors and we'll kind of switch the gears here with a, we only have a few minutes left in this segment i may have to carry over to the next one you know we talk about stocks all the time you know the majority of our show that we discuss we're discussing stocks And stocks have always been the majority of, uh, of our portfolios in a balanced portfolio manager. We typically had at least 60% on average invested in stocks in a moderate asset allocation portfolio for the last 30 plus years. What's getting ready to happen in our opinion is, you know, interest rates are going to start to go up as far as the eye can see. We don't know when, the Fed will stop raising interest rates. We don't know when the marketplace will stop raising interest rates, and and that has implications for investors in bond securities and fixed income securities, us included. Uh, you know, we're we're we've been on record for years talking about our bond portfolio and how we've been reducing uh, the maturity dates and our portfolio, bond portfolio to much shorter maturity dates. So when we started the business, the average bond in a moderate asset allocation portfolio was somewhere between five, five, you know, four or five years was the average maturity. The maximum was seven, you know, minimum about a year. So we were between one and seven years. That was our bread and butter moderate asset allocation, intermediate bond maturity manager. And over the years, especially these last 10 years, we have been shorting those, sh- shorting up those maturities in anticipation of higher interest rates. And for a moment, in, in moments in time in the last 10 years, we were getting higher interest rates only to have them turn back the other way. Now, I don't think any of us believe that interest rates are going back to three-tenths of a percent like they were in March of 2020. They're going higher. The question is how high is high? And we come back from the break, give a little preview about what we're considering doing in our bond portfolios
1: well and i would say if we got back to three-tenths of, of, of a percent in the 10-year treasury i would want to know what exactly is happening in the world to cause rates to go back down that low well, let's take that break you're listening to Moneywise with davidson capital management MoneyWise wise guys will be back after this welcome back you're listening to MoneyWise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you MoneyWise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget you can subscribe to the Money Wise Podcast through Apple Podcasts where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in from the bottom of the hour break, before we went to the break, we started, we shifted gears a little bit away from stocks and talking a little bit more about fixed income. Because as we've been talking the last several weeks on this program, and for those that are paying attention to the financial markets, we know that the Federal Reserve is increasing the tapering of their bond buying. We'll be ending it in March looking to raise interest rates next year and looking at strategies on the fixed income side of the portfolio, because we are a balanced manager. And as Jeff said in the last segment, on average, we've, in a moderate allocation, we are typically around a 60, 40 allocation, 60% stocks, 40% fixed income and cash. And the biggest issue that all balanced money managers in this country have been facing is more on the fixed income side of the portfolio. So, Back to what you were saying,
0: Jeff. So, to give everyone some background, let's talk about the year just passed in terms of bonds. You know, the ten-year Treasury yield, which is the which is the yield that is most often mentioned in the financial news, because it it, it ties into mortgage rates. In the year just passed, the ten-year Treasury yield went up about six tenths of one percent. We started the year. Just a little over nine tenths of a percent in yield, and we ended the year at a little over one and a half percent on on the 10 year treasury. So, six tenths of a percent, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot, you know, from just a raw numerical uh, looking at it, just the raw number, six tenths of a percent, not a big deal. Well, that six tenths of a percent increase in the 10 year yield has resulted in no positive. Returns for investors in bonds when you take into account interest income and decline in the value of the bonds themselves, their face value, their price. I'm looking at the performance numbers, and now this is not, this doesn't include Friday, but if you look at an aggregate of all investment grade corporate bonds in the United States that's going to be triple B or higher I believe in terms of S&P rating whether it's 30 years, 10 years, 5 years, 1 years, everywhere in between the aggregate number is a minus 1.69% for the year. So investors in, so if you own a bond mutual fund and and which most managed accounts own a bond mutual fund is that a fair assessment? guys.
2: Yes. Or if yeah. you have a target date fund that has bond exposure, that
0: has bond exposure in it. So that bond mutual fund highly likely that it lost money this year. The only, only bond mutual funds that would have made money this year might have been the ultra ultra short ones or high yield, which we don't invest in high yield, AKA junk. We don't invest in that.
1: Or emerging market or international.
0: Yeah, debt. but yeah. So anyway, I'm not sure about international debt or emerging, but if you say so, Kyle. So looking at our portfolio, which has a has a weighted average maturity on average of of around two years, mm-hmm. we were down from a performance point of view about three tenths of a percent. That's income minus change in price, in this case because interest rates went higher, the change of price offset all of the income, and we ended up with a slight negative number for the year. Now, anyone, any advisor that owned bonds last year, investment grade, had negative numbers in the bond mutual funds. Now, we didn't have that in 2020, and I, and I 2019 I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. I don't think we had it in 2019 either. But bond investors this year, by and large, have lost money in bonds. Now, bonds have to be in the portfolio. It's the foundation on which we build the rest of the portfolio. So it's it's about safety and income. So the portfolio has to have bonds. If I expand on that a little more, the portfolio has to have a foundation of fixed income investments. And fixed income investments – can take the form of bonds and cash. They're both components. Cash is a fixed income instrument. It just pays virtually nothing in this environment that's changing, but it's going to be a long time before it really pays something of any, any, any consequence. And so 10 year treasury yield goes up six, ten- six tenths of a percent in an entire year. and, Anyone that owned investment grade bonds in their portfolio of of more than a year's maturity lost money from a performance point of view. So how do we remedy that knowing that there's a very high probability in the years to come, especially beginning in 2022, that interest rates may be going up at a faster clip? Because mind you, ladies and gentlemen, that, the ten-year treasury yield went up six tenths of a percent in an environment where the Federal Reserve didn't even raise interest rates. Right, they didn't even change rates at the federal funds level. This was all market forces that which caused. Which really,
1: which really is right. what controls the interest rate environment is market forces, <clears throat> not the Fed.
0: The Federal Reserve only controls the Federal Reserve rate, right? and the the it is believed to whatever extent you, y'all want, anyone out there listening just wants to believe it, that other interest rates are built upon what's happening on the federal funds rate. So if we had a year in which the Federal, federal Reserve did nothing with the federal funds rate, but yet 10-year Treasury went up six-tenths of a percent, well, the Federal Reserve has been on record so far saying that they're going to raise interest rates, what, at least three times next year? Or we're inferring that they're going to be raising the rate at least three times next year?
1: They're inferring, yes.
0: And we've also had inferred previously that, that we didn't think the first rate increase was going to be until the summer. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was going to be late next year, like the fourth quarter next year. Now that's been moved up to the summer. And I'm not so sure they don't move it up again. And I think, we well, I'll just lay uh, put out a little bit of a prediction that we'll probably talk more about next week that I think that the the 20% correction will happen sooner in the year rather than later. Because of the market getting their, you know, bringing their hands about Federal Reserve interest rate increases, and so we've been, we've been talking about what we're going to do in our bond portfolio to to avoid not making money in bonds. Now, one thing that we did is we stopped buying bond mutual funds years ago. We haven't owned a bond mutual fund, I think, since 2019, if my memory serves me correctly.
2: It's been it's it was a, a short term corporate bond fund, I believe.
0: Um, in the last year, year and a half, uh, our asset builder accounts, uh, the the bond component was an exchange traded fund that was invested in short term instruments, and we did o- we did okay for the year and a half that we owned it. We don't own it anymore. Um, uh, that particular investment is going to be changed and I'm I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, exactly what we're going to do yet. We'll save that for next week, but we are, we are going to make big changes in, in that, in the bond portion of the portfolio across all of our accounts. And we're going to be, we're going to be doing something in our larger accounts that owns the actual individual bonds themselves. We're going to be doing something in those portfolios that we have never done in the 33 years of managing money. And all of this is in response to what we believe is going to be an environment that stretches well into the future of higher and higher interest rates. And that does have an implication for stocks. And that's, you know, this is, like we've been saying in these last two seconds, this is one of the reasons why we're less comp, you know, we're we're confident that the num that the performance number in stocks next year is going to be a lot less than what we've experienced what investors have experienced in the last three years. I'm not going to, none of us are going to say that it's going to be a negative number. And even dad is going to say, cause he's told me, but his predictions are even dad's going to say next year that it's not going to be a negative number. So <clears> what you're getting paying. at is
2: it's an extremely important time to make sure you're getting your fourth quarter statements, reviewing what you have. Right. If you don't, Know what you own. It's time to know what you own and do a portfolio review. So I promise you a lot of listeners and a lot of investors have no idea what their bond portfolio looks like, what the duration is, and what impact interest rates could have on it.
0: And I know good and well, well – just, just, just wait, Kyle, let me say this. I know good and well, and you all can agree – I know you all agree with me that the 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 legacy distribution systems portfolio allocation decision-making process – always includes a bond mutual fund
2: uh, and, or 10 or 10. 15 <laughs> well, or 20% of the international market. An right.
0: Right. 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 So, well, yeah. And
1: that, well, that's something else that Joe and I were talking about on Friday afternoon is, you know, when you go to the legacy distribution system, all the mega big box brokerage firms that use computers to figure asset allocation models based off of Monte Carlo analysis, If you are at one of these big box mega brokerage firms, you're probably holding anywhere between 10 and 25% international, which did less than half, if not, depending upon certain markets, negative performance this year. the
0: The world index last year was up less than 8%. Emerging markets was down 5%.
1: Yeah. So if you're one of those big botched brokers using Monte Carlo analysis and computers to manage money, as opposed to human beings that have over 70 years plus experience of being in the trenches managing money like we do at Davidson Capital Management, then you might not be so happy with some components in your portfolio here in 2021. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your MoneyWise Wise guys will be back after this. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can scri- subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Moneywise program, right before we went to commercial break, we were just talking about the big box brokerage firms, the big box retailers in uh, the financial world. And Joe and I were talking about this on Friday, that if – you're at one of these firms who primarily use now computers to generate asset allocation models based on different portfolio theories A real popular. One is the Monte Carlo um, theory, where basically you answer a questionnaire figures out what your risk tolerance is. And then based on this plotted line chart, this graph, this is where you should be allocated. You know, this percentage in large growth, large value, international emerging markets, And it creates your portfolio like that. Then they backfill it in with a lot of the proprietary relationships they have with outside mutual funds and ETF providers because they do nice revenue sharing with them. So they can make more money for themselves off your back. But then at the end of the day, is this allocation a proper allocation for you? We were just talking before the break. You look at international markets, emerging markets. They did not have a good year overall. In fact, we began the year with an emerging market position that we – did not stay in very long.
2: We, we dipped and our toe in the water. Of, we pulled it out real quick.
1: Very small dipping our toe in the water and realized that we, these assets were dead money because we'd been in this position for over a year, and we felt that these assets could be allocated in other asset classes to give us better performance, and that's what we did. That's what money management is about. We're not computers or use computers at Davidson capital management to make our investment management decisions. You're listening well, it, to the three decision makers. And Kyle
2: it, You hit on something that we talk about. It's not just about numbers. It's actually in science. It's actually an art part of managing it's money is an art That's right. And, and have a forward thinking view. And I think computers, the last couple of years, all of us have gone through this pandemic and the playbook on the, on the pandemic and, and running a portfolio, it's pretty fluid, you know, and, and computers can't, sit there and plug in, oh, here's a pandemic scenario. What do we do with the portfolio? Good luck with that.
1: No, no, they don't because computers cannot, they, they might know the science, the technical numbers, the squiggly line, as dad would say, but they don't know the art. And the art comes with experience of being in the trenches. And, and that's an important part. And that's what computers will never capture or the person writing the algorithm is a human being, mathematician, computer scientist, not an actual professional money manager. And so this is important for you to know as an investor. And Jeff, you were
3: wanting to start So
0: I will, kind of to complete the point that I started to make at the end of the last segment, talking about, you know, what are what are the big box financial legacy distribution system going to do in the portfolios when you have an environment such as the one that we're heading you know, starting to head into where it appears that interest rates are going to go higher as far as the eye can see. And why would they go higher as far as the eye can see? Well, let's look at our debt as a country. You know, Let's look at how, how long we've been at these incredibly low rates. Um, look at how high inflation is. I mean, it's amazing to have these low interest rates and this high inflation, isn't it?
1: How accommodative the Fed has been? You know,
0: the Fed's been very accommodative, you know, and, and I applaud them for being accommodative. And, and I'm sure people will be money morning quarterbacking them in a year or two years from now, saying that they were accommodative for too long. And that's fine. That's for the history writers to deal with. The, one that, the point I wanted to make about the legacy distribution system is the fact that I guarantee you they own these bond mutual funds and I guarantee you they're not going to sell them.
1: And, I guarantee and, and, you the re- duration, and the reason is the, and the, the reason is, is they're,
0: yeah 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 duration aside they're not going to sell these bond mutual funds for one big reason and you and you the three of us know what that is and that's money
2: Payola, hey, baby
0: they're not going to sell these mutual funds in these managed accounts in, in because they want to put it in cash well cash isn't going to make them any fees. From these mutual fund companies, that's they're not going to—they're
1: not going to get revenue. They're sharing not going to get twelve b
0: one revenue sharing from no. cash. They're not going to get <clears throat> twelve b one revenue sharing if they own it. You know what an, you got to
1: own... You got to stay the course. You have to stay the course, right?
0: So they're not going to get any twelve b one revenue sharing from an exchange traded fund. And so the so the legacy distribution system is going to keep doing what they've been doing. They're going to, like Kyle said, they're just going to stay the course. So there's no, there's not going to be anything innovative. It's not going to be anything brought new into the portfolio. Now we're bringing in some new, I, don't, I wouldn't call them new asset classes. I, I would call them uh, new types of fixed income instruments. And it, it's going to be it's going to, be, it's going to be, it's going to be a hybrid strategy where, in essence, we're, going long on short maturity interest rates and we're going short on long maturity interest rates. Now, is anybody in the legacy distribution system going to be doing that? Heck to the no. They're not going to be doing that. That's a portfolio, that's a bond portfolio set up for higher interest rates that we believe are upon us and none of us there's no talking heads yeah we'll sit here and we'll make our predictions and then we'll we'll look back on the year and say well we're a little too low on that prediction you know what whether we get to a you know, we might get to a three percent 10-year treasury next year what would a three-year uh, a three percent treasury yield a 10-year treasury yield do to stocks i mean that's going to change the math That's especially going to be changing the math on these high-flying names with high PEs that have been selling on price-to-sales ratios and not price-to-earnings ratios. And a lot of those stocks are in a lot of people's portfolios, and they've probably gotten complacent about them. And like we've been saying this whole show, take stock. Another great year in the bag but that doesn't mean you doesn't mean be complacent about what's in your portfolio and you better be taking a hard look at what you own.
1: Well, not only knowing what you own, but also getting your emotions in check at the beginning of the year because we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks now of more chop and like every conversation I've had with clients I've had conversations with this past month and a half I'm preparing each and every one of them mentally To understand that we're coming in, it's like we're in the ship, we see the dark clouds on the horizon, we're not there yet, but we're now making changes and adjustments in the portfolio coming into the new year to batten down the hatches a little bit tighter and bring in some new strategies, particularly on the fixed income side and making some shifts in asset classes on the equity side to be able to weather what we feel is going to be an upcoming, a little bit more of a choppy waters and a little bit of more storm clouds going into 2022, particularly with these changes that are coming down the pipeline from the monetary policy that the Fed is going to be making. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we are going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com.
0: If you missed the first hour of Moneywise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com.
1: Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the Money Wise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments, we talk, to, we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone, but we, we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and, and really more importantly and f- more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found for Market Watch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning. And what I what I call it when I work with our clients or prospective clients, I call it financial road mapping. That's just the, the name I've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement. Just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement but there was a survey that was done in this article and the title of the article is the surprising amount retirees spend and this article really kind of goes in two different directions it, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single
3: dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money.
1: They're concerned about that, but then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because again looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire You've accumulated $1,000,000, million, one point five million, two million 1500000 million, $2 million that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30 percent... Of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and right. have upsized I mean, that's a surprising number. They're and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I, I was quite surprised seeing a thirty percent increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size; it's not a huge sample size. But uh, again, it's an interesting statistic that thirty percent of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, or went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's, here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule to be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and, of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in, and we have found that you know Our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, But that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the... Extremely low interest rate environment. Some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate
3: to between two and three percent. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion,
0: the way we viewed this, this, the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle, being used by our uh, competitors and on Wall Street. We've kind of looked at is they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent. Maximum withdrawal rate per year—that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with. With a four percent rule, right? So, if you're if you if you've got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling well, you can only withdraw two percent a year—that's twenty thousand dollars.
3: <laughs> well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, ten-year bonds right mm-hmm. now. Exactly. You don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. So you don't you don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd that's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, uh, they're,
1: they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that, Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're, they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street, to generate
0: that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of 2 to 1 percent. Whether it's 2, 3, or 4 percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well,
1: let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education, and it's an, uh, and it comes from an article, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, and we're talking about spending in retirement. And some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset. And some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households aged 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research, researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the four percent rule closer to a nine percent withdrawal rate per year but they also found that twenty eight percent withdrew less than one percent and some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets now i would be assuming that these folks either have a taxable assets And outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you. Or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management, to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets. Or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments... Are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what—that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but you know, one thing that that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing, and that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time, as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this, because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, where... You know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, but <laughs> I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity. And you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend at Davidson Capital Management, as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account. And then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account. And then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out. You get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9%, 10 11% of your investable net worth by by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401K, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets – at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And an example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose, and that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take four thousand dollars out a month as opposed to taking fifteen thousand dollars out every quarter? You know, doing it that way. Uh, so, bottom line is is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time.
3: The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm -hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... (laughs) It can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting mm-hmm. the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out.
1: That's true, but it averages out over the life of
3: the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we know, you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. 25 years plus, seeing this, and we've had some wild and wooly markets since 1989, and we're going to have wild and wooly markets for the next 25 years. And so, you start doing that, and you are going to run out of money. And, and I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you, you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't. I mean, it's their money. We <laughs> and, are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear.
0: A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks, they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement, maybe not necessarily the house. But by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating at no, you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would. Take out fifty or sixty percent of their money, or more, to start a new business, change careers, and the the, the problem that we have as as long term planners uh, of of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at fifty years old, you know, and you're ten. Twelve years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to five hundred thousand dollars. Are you going to be able to replace that five hundred thousand dollars in ten years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many, in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor. And that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your
1: retirement nest egg. You should go out and, and find other forms of financing. And if you can't get it, maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 Two one six two, And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education of, about retirement spending, and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, we've only got into a little bit of the article because... We deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement – wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to
0: have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before so that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's right. You know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low.
1: But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And, and the thing that, that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we we get it. We understand folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's three and a half percent no don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder our moderate allocation our asset builder our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is seven percent so i use seven percent as the rule of thumb if the interest rate is below seven percent you finance it if the interest rate is above seven percent okay we could discuss paying cash for it because it Again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers.
0: The okay. other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills, is that the income taxes you have to
1: pay. That's right. And and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To pay for those income taxes, your IRA, again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if
0: you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3% and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000, you know, 4% on $20,000, I believe, is $800, if my member, if my math is correct. Uh, per year. Per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a 15% tax bracket and you take that $20,000 out. Well, now you're looking at, uh, what was that, $3,000 $3, in, in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay pulling that money out. So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income, compounded, and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It could know, cost let's say you it's a c- lot. A couple hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you
1: were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on $20,000, $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8 9 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on Earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on Earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do, and what we recommend is... If you want to maintain your lifestyle, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months, and if you haven't... If you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either A, lower your living expenses somehow, or B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's Financial Calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So... Utilize com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis. And that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than... Than what you are taking out on a monthly basis We get that But don't make it a habit
0: I was going to say The the key to managing retirement assets To me comes down to one word Flexibility Absolutely And flexibility means that your retirement assets Are not invested in instruments that Take that away yeah, that, that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens. And I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a
1: traditional pension. That would be something else. Right. Taking a traditional roll, pension, yeah.
0: Roll instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, "I'm going to take the pension, and that's it." Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment, you're done. You you that's the that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life, and then once those two exp- typically once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime there's no other assets going to the uh, estate and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation, so every
1: month that goes by that pension payment is buying less and they're also than not guaranteed that's right no matter how strong the corporation is. And I know the, the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at nine zero six zero zero seven zero, or toll-free at one 800 275 Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement, and I was talking about taking pension payments, and we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry, or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension or if you have if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged or not adjusted for monetary inflation so what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set. On the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis, and so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say a four or five thousand dollar a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than three thousand dollars a month. So if you're receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, you just sliced your pension Regardless of
0: how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah,
1: you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows, some horror stories concerning these pension payouts, and I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal, is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying Pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox, receives a letter stating, "Oh, we've overpaid you over the last ten years, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment."
3: It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare, but it happens. Answer, right? well, one thing that struck me was was this uh, that was on page two of the. Uh, Going back to the article, uh, and the article
1: titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the Roadmap for Policymakers... An American's view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right. This is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit. This the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer
3: to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed <clears throat> in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six. You're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the GM. yeah, yeah. That's the guarantee. <laughs> the guarantee is you're, you're not going to like it. you're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm you know I'm only seventy. I'm not I'm not you know I, I, I'm not retired, retired, but the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money I'm, today, I'm willing to get take you know, less money and give
0: up flexibility.
3: And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this... this but
1: that's is, fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed This is fear. This is
0: the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's
1: right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better.
3: You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government.
0: Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401k nest eggs, and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets, or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying, and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now, because taking a ex, accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement. That's baloney. The the what it's it's just never that this guaranteed income and retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comf- a uh, comfortable retirement. retirement for for most people. It's just not. So so. Pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401Ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And and if any of
1: our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one 2162 And with that from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.